0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In my mind's eye, I had a picture of myself in the scene where Christ was visited by the Magi. And you know what the Scripture says about their response when they saw Him. The Scripture says they worshipped. It's a spontaneous response that any and all do and should have when it comes to Him. And by the way, if you have not bowed your knee and given your heart to Christ, today would be a great day to do so. The reality is that At the name of Jesus, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So may this day be a day that will move us ever closer to that day when we will be fully committed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, we thank You for coming for us, calling our names, then taking our place that we should have been in to be punished for our sin. And then, having been buried, You were raised from the dead to cinch our salvation. We thank You, Lord. Now we ask that You would help us to understand what You would have us to know and not merely know, but to apply in our lives today from this passage from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. We ask this in your name. Amen. This passage of scripture, I am not good at giving titles to sermons, but if I were to give a title to these four verses that we're going to look at, it would be this. We have been born again to be fruitful. Notice I said born again. When we first came into this world, we were bereft of anything good. The Bible says in the book of Romans, there is none good, no, not one. There is none who is righteous. There is no one, believe this, no one who seeks the Lord. It's only by the work of God in the person of Jesus Christ with the assistance of the Holy Spirit that we come to know God. And today, as we think about the fact that we have been born again in order to be fruitful, I'm going to back up a little bit and get nostalgic with you. Many of you will know the name Steppenwolf. I was not a great fan of Steppenwolf, but I began to do more than tap my foot when I heard Born to be Wild in 1968. Well, the story of that song, and I couldn't find for sure, but it was linked to the movie Easy Rider. And we know who the stars of that movie were, two men, both of whom are no longer with us, and the first Peter Fonda, and then Dennis Hopper, they got a deal done with selling cocaine in Southern California. They got on their Harleys and they began to move eastward. As they moved eastward, they were looking for something that they did not have. In fact, one pundit said they were looking for spiritual truth. But they were looking in the wrong place, unfortunately. And as they moved their way across the country to the southwest, probably through Texas, if I remember correctly, even even further to the east in the south, well, these men were met with disdain because of the way they had their hair. And it was really not short compared to today's hairstyles for men. But nevertheless, they... Met a certain degree of bigotry toward themselves and rejection, and then they ended the movie by talking to each other, and basically they say to each other, "We've got to leave America if we're going to find what we're looking for." Well, that's not true, not because America's any better than any other nation, but it's not true, because the Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. And he works in the hearts of people all over the world to initiate their new birth so that they can know God and have the potential of being fruit-bearing people. So how does this text teach us that we can fulfill our destiny of being fruitful. The first thing we need to pay attention to is that we have to avoid being deceived. Look at verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived, just stop right there. A more precise translation of this command, stop being deceived. We have within us, if we know Jesus Christ, the power not to be deceived. We do have an adversary, the devil. Among other ways he is described in the New Testament is in the book of 2 Corinthians 11:14, 14, where Paul writes that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And was he ever more in character than in the Garden of Eden? Remember how he came, and the scripture says that the serpent, in the form of the serpent, the serpent was the most beautiful of all the creatures in the garden. And what did he do? He set out to deceive Eve. She took the bait, as did Adam, and you know the rest of the story. All the descendants of Adam, with the exceptions, section of Jesus, in the sense that Jesus is the second Adam, we people and are people who are in need of a Savior because we are sinners. Stop being deceived. Know your enemy. One of the key elements of being successful in any kind of battle is to know your enemy. Would you agree with that? And so we need to know the wiles of the devil. The schemes of the devil. We need to know his mode of operation. And I encourage you to do a review on that at your own leisure. But in addition to that, and the people that I'm going to mention now were certainly emissaries and are, let me use the present tense, emissaries of the great deceiver. In 2 John verse 7, the Bible says that there are many deceivers who have gone out from us. This is in the first generation of believers. They were sent as undercover agents, as it were, into the fledgling church, the first generation church, and they keep it up. So we need to be clear about who the deceiver is, with a capital D, and also his little deceivers whom he sends out. False teachers, people are false prophets. So how do we know? Well, this text does not say how we know. It assumes that we would know. Here's how we know. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the what? Truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. How do we know about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we know because the Word of God witnesses to Him. Perhaps you know that in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to some of His enemies and He says, You search the Scripture because you believe that in them you have eternal life. And it is these Scriptures... "...who bear witness to me." The Bible, and he was talking about the Old Testament, by the way, the Old Testament, the New Testament, from beginning to end, witnesses to the person of Jesus Christ. The truth will set you free, Jesus says. And he's talking about himself, but he's also talking about the Word. But there's one other element that I need to mention in this regard. Jesus, in describing the Holy Spirit, describes Him as the Spirit of truth. How did we get the Bible? We got the Bible by the work of the Holy Spirit. In the last two verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible talks about how the Spirit of God moved in the prophets' minds and hearts, and they were moved to record what was being taught them by the Spirit of God." Now, let me briefly pause, take a little side journey, and let you know this, that the writers of the Scripture were not robots. They were not put into some sort of daze or coma, and then something caused them to have their stylus in hand and write the words of the Scripture. We know God used men and women to write the scripture of God to encourage us and to help us to know and to help us to avoid being deceived. If you get nothing else from what I'm teaching today, I pray that you will get this. You will up your ability to not be deceived and be fruitful as a consequence of that if you become a woman or a man of God who is committed to read and listen for the voice of God as you read in the Word of God. Avoid being deceived. Actually, the phrase means stop being deceived. And so we need to say to ourselves, stop it, Mike, get into the Word of God so that you will know your enemy, More importantly, that you will know the one who empowers you to overcome the enemy through the truth of God's word. Here's the second thing that surfaces quickly in this passage of scripture. In addition to avoiding being deceived, we must be wise farmers. And you said, you got the wrong person, pastor. I'm not a farmer. I'm not the son of a farmer, uh, the son of a grandfather of a farmer. Well, this is what I would call, and this is not unique to me, nothing I'm saying probably is unique today, thank God. But the scripture in this passage of scripture talks about the law of the sower. And Jesus and Paul lived in what we would call an agricultural or kind of culture. And so this would have resonated very much with virtually all who would hear this read or read it when it was first coming to them. And we must understand this from a further look at this passage of scripture. Look at verse 7. God is not mocked. And the, that phrase means the word not mocked means really to turn your nose up at someone, to sneer at them. If we allow ourselves to be deceived, we are sneering at God. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And there are two fields that are possible seed beds for the seed that we would sow. One, we've already met both of these, one is the flesh. And what, may I ask, hopefully you're beginning to catch on if you didn't know before, what is the flesh? It's Mike Woods out from under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. That assumes that Mike Woods has been born again by the living and abiding Word of God through the motion and the message and the work of the Holy Spirit of God born not only of water, but born of the Spirit, born again. So, when we think of this matter of the field of the flesh, and Paul goes into great detail, we won't read it again today, but if you're interested and you haven't been here with us as we've been looking at the book of Galatians, you can begin with verse 19 of the previous chapter 5 of this letter to the Galatians. And there are three verses And it's a rather daunting list and a revealing list. Read through that and understand what kinds of behavior are reflective of the flesh. Flesh is mankind in opposition to God. And we, although we have been born again, praise God, and that we have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, we are people who still have to contend with the flesh our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness. Any exhibition, expression of self-centeredness coming out of my life is an evidence that the flesh is still alive and well in my life. And notice what the scripture goes on to say in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. This word means decay. This word is a word which also is, in its implication, a word that means destruction. We talked about the law of the sower already. We are all sowers. Did you know that? We're all farmers in a way. And we can sow to the flesh. But what we know is that when the Spirit of God is not in a man's life or a woman's life, or if he is in and the person doesn't yield fully to him in his or her walk, the result is that there's decay and the pathway is one of destruction. For those who do not know Christ, that's the only field in which they can sow. And this is why Christ came to give us another field to sow in. And the Bible talks about the outcome of those who do not know Jesus Christ. This is not pleasant to think about for me. And it's not pleasant perhaps for you to think about. But in the verse, one of the verses in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, this is what Paul writes. He talks about people who do not bow their heart and their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace him and ask Him for forgiveness. They do not worship Him like the Magi did and so many else other people have done. The Bible says they will have a destiny of continual destruction. The word is really not continual. It's eternal destruction. Can you believe it? People who leave this world without having come to know Christ without having given themselves to him. That is their destination. The Bible doesn't have anything like purgatory. It's either trusting Christ alone, giving your life to him, or doing your own thing without consideration for him. So we can sow to what? We can sow to the flesh. Let's see something that's not as dreary as that. And let's look at the last part of verse 8. This is so promising. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, we're helped in chapter 5 where the scripture talks about we are to keep on walking in the Spirit. Once we receive Christ, He comes to indwell us by the Spirit. We walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a way of life. Our lifestyle is to be reflective of the fruit of the Spirit. So if we sow seed to the part of the parcel that makes up our bailiwick, it's going to go to the soil that is good soil. And the Word of God will find root in it. And the result of that will be we will grow in our walk with the Lord. And then also in the fifth chapter, it does not simply say we're to walk in the Spirit. It's saying basically, if you read it carefully, it's a given when you receive Christ, you're going to walk after the Spirit of God. But also it says we will be led by the Spirit. And the word walk there, there are two words for walk. We've seen it. won't go into detail about it. But one speaks of lifestyle, a lifestyle of following the Spirit of God. That's characteristic. But the last usage of it in verse 25 of chapter 5 communicates this picture. It's walking in step with him. It was a word which is was used in the New Testament era to describe soldiers getting in line behind their leader. And it's no secret that when the Lord wants us to come to know him, He has set clear ground rules. We must know that we're sinners. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only must we know that we're sinners, but we also must know that God loves us. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And couple those two with the next two. The third thing we must know is that the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual death, but physical death as well. And the free gift of God, though, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you understand that a little bit. I hope that would be appealing to you. Eternal life is not something we wait for when we die. We do have an anticipation of being free from this body of death in which we inhabit and dwell but we will, meanwhile, we are men and women who've already received eternal life. Did you know that? We already have received eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, He's the truth. He's the way. He's the truth. What else is He? He's the life. So He lives in us. And the Spirit is not only the Spirit of truth in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, This is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of life. He comes and He dwells in us. In the life which we now live in the body, we live by the faith of the Son of God who lives in me. He loved me. He loved you to the point of giving His perfect life as a sacrifice for you and me so that we could have a way to be going forward with the Lord. So, we need to be wise farmers. So, not to the flesh, but so to what? The Holy Spirit. Yield to Him. And the outcome is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 talks about that. And 23 of chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We'll talk about two of these particular traits of the Spirit, one in more detail as we go forward. Here's the third thing this text teaches us. As we're sowing seed, as we're walking after the Spirit, as we're led in step by the Spirit, as we are seeing the fruit of the Spirit exhibited through our lives, not having to do with anything of our own making, but of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, what happens is that we suffer along the way. Following Christ is not for sissies, for sure. It's for people who are sure of who their leader is and know that he is one who cares about us and he walks with us and he gives us what we need to deal with the difficulties let's look at verse nine as we look at this matter of not losing heart or growing weary let us not lose heart in doing good before i go on to the lion's share of what i'm going to say here about doing good i'd like you to fix your eyes on this command let us not lose heart. The ESV says, let us not grow weary. And the idea here is, we have to vigil- vigilantly keep an eye on our hearts. And not let Satan win in discouraging us. And here again, we go back to the scripture. Romans 14:4. 4, many of you could quote it. That What was written in earlier times was written for our encouragement. Amazing. Do you know that the word that Jesus uses that is translated helper or comforter in the New Testament is the noun form of the word that is translated throughout the New Testament, encourage. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. And that word encourage doesn't capture the full range of meaning in that word. That word or parakletos, those words are words which speak of not just hugging somebody when they're aching due to some kind of pain. And if you understand the difficulty of life and you find a brother or sister who's in great pain, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says that we who know Christ, we weep with those who weep. In fact, we're commanded to weep. Now, I have never been able to weep on command. I don't know about you. It's not because I'm unsympathetic, but maybe I'm not empathetic enough. But nevertheless, we are people who we need to guard against losing heart or growing weary. We're getting to the real practical part of this passage of scripture. And it doesn't have to be practical at all. It's God's word and it has application. The Holy Spirit gives us direction in that regard. We're not to give up is what this is all about. And especially in this area that's mentioned in doing good. Now let's pause a moment and think about that word if you'll look back over in chapter five for a moment. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Please look at the word kindness for a moment. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Holy Spirit wants you and me to be joyful. He's already said, as he inspired Paul to pen these words, Joy is the second evidence of his presence in our lives. He creates joy. He is one who is kind to us. When we know Jesus, we're going to be kind to people. We want to show a sincere desire for their well-being. Happiness, I don't quite like that word because happiness means everything is going the way I want it to go. Right? My circumstances are good. I, I don't have any outstanding debts. I, I have good health. The last checkup I went to, I got good health. As my kids are doing well, their kids are doing well. Everything's going great. But this idea of happiness is needing to be in the context of what God would consider happiness in the place of joy. How frequently do we see in the Scripture where people were in dire circumstances and what do we find them doing at times? Rejoicing in the Lord. The Bible says to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's how we can rejoice always. The Lord is near. Do you know if you know Jesus Christ? He's not some distant deity. He's one who lives in you. He's near. Nothing that happens to me or you, if we know Christ, goes without His notice and even more without His permission. He allows us to have trouble because He knows that we will not grow into His likeness were it not for some trouble in our lives? Do you know that you were created in Christ Jesus to be conformed to His image? Do you also know, if you do, you know this, if you don't, it's going to help you a lot. God causes all things to work together for good. Get that? For good, there's that word. For the good of those who are called by Him and love Him. That's amazing. It's the activity calculated to advance the happiness. It involves deliberate deeds that are helpful to other people. Now I'm going to ask you to keep your place here in Galatians and turn one page, it's only one page in my Bible, to Ephesians. Verse 15 four of chapter two, among them, talking about sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived. We were sons of disobedience, daughters of disobedience, until God miraculously raised us from the dead and gave us eternal life as we yielded our lives to Him. The scripture goes on to say, they formerly lived in the lust of their flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Mm -hmm. But, I love those insertions of that adversity, don't you? Mm -hmm. But, we should capitalize this. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead... In our transgressions, we were dead spiritually, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You understand that? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's grace. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My beloved mentor and man who influenced my life more than any other person besides my mother and my father. He would sometimes write me personal letters and occasionally as he would sign off, he would say, keep looking down. And I thought, what are you talking about, Herb? You've gone off the rails here. And then I began to reflect on this passage of scripture. Where are we spiritually? Where are we? We are seated with none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, where? In the heavenly realms. We've already made the transition out of death into life. And the result is that we have that kind of relationship. Seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Look at verse 7. In order that the, in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his great kindness toward us in Christ Jesus kindness precedes goodness. And really that's not a good way to say it. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice when the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it does not use a plural fruits of the Spirit. There are different facets of the fruit of the Spirit. And love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, etc. Those are aspects of it. But kindness And goodness are like sisters. Kindness results in goodness. So turn back over again to our main text here. And look at verse 9 again. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us... Keep on doing good is really the best translation to all men and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Well, goodness, we've already looked at it, but let's look at it one more time. The activity calculated, that means you put some thought into being a person who represents the Spirit well by taking the goodness that He has implanted in you and passing it on to advance the joy, happiness that goodness involves. And it involves goodness, deeds that are done. I'm going to ask some questions of this text, but also of other places in the Bible to help us to know how to go about doing this good. We have the power within us. It's not something that is foreign to us anymore. We are no longer aliens to the fruit of the Spirit. Now we are the depository of the Spirit's fruit. So let's begin by asking this question. The question is, when? And by the way, the Bible is clear, all the time. All the time we are to be able to be good. How do we know that? Because verse 9 and let us not lose heart and the phrase not lose heart is a part of a translation that could be well never losing heart that's the idea here never losing heart so there's not a time in my life that I am not to be a man who is looking out for opportunity To do good to other people. And after a while it ceases to be a thought here and there. I'm talking about being kind and good. But the longer we walk with the Lord it becomes second nature to us. It's his nature in us. We have that presence of the spirit of God. And he works in our lives. So when? Well all the time. When we have opportunity, more specifically, look again at our text, verse 10, since then, so then rather, while we have opportunity, that would imply there might come a time when opportunity is scarce. So we always need to be people, if we know Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us, looking for those opportunities. And here's a question that was raised in my mind as I was preparing this message. What do I do if I become weary? Do not let your heart lose the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't fall into weariness. Well, let me give you some suggestions that have been helpful to me. This does not mean they will be helpful to you, but some of them might. Because it does get weary, doesn't it? The Christian life is, someone said, the problem with the Christian life is that it's so daily. <laughs> Over the years of pastoring this church and other churches, of 47, 48 years, what I've looked forward to is vacation. And Let me tell you, when I go on vacation, sometimes I'm tempted to do things I wouldn't if I were at home. Anybody here like that? By the way, I've only been to Vegas one time. I just want to let you know. And I was accompanied by my wife, my little boy, and my mother and father, and I behaved, I think. But the the point being is, that you never, here's a great saying, you never can take a vacation from your vocation. Do you know what your vocation is? To be a Christian. Not off and on. And nobody's perfect in their walk with the Lord. I know that. I'm far from it myself, for sure. But what we are, we're never to take a vacation from our Vocation. It's important. But when I don't feel like it, do you ever say to yourself, I don't feel like it? I dare say there would be more than one person here today says, I don't feel like going to that church today and listening to a man talk for 45 minutes from the Bible. Now I'm not going to look for a show of hands because I don't want to fall into the trap of being angry. I wouldn't be, by the way. I wouldn't come hear me talk either, if it were I. But even when you don't feel like it, you know what I've learned? Get up and do something that would be in the category of good to somebody else. And all of a sudden, I'm not weary anymore. Where I had a heart that was sinking all of a sudden there's this buoyance that becomes part of my being because why I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do. Here's another thing. Learn to take daily sabbaticals. You know my favorite place to take my daily sabbatical? I get in my car and I'm in my car quite a bit in the work which I do and I Tune in to 91.7 or 1590, 91.7 FM, 1590 on the AM. And I'll listen to music, believe it, godly music, great music, 91.7 and great teaching of God's word. There have been occasions when I was straying from the Lord as a pastor, I might add, flirting with the world and Not going all the way, but thinking about it. And I would find myself not turning on Christian radio. Wow. That was telling. Thank God the Lord brought me back to my mindset. But find a place or a way you can have just a place to exhale and regain your perspective. Cut back on your routine of sacrificial love. Some people think they're messiahs. I read about a pastor named Dick Jones. He was one of those guys who's a pastor who had a messiah complex. I mean, he was just wearing himself out and his wife at the same time. And he got sick with pneumonia. The doctor came to the house. Doctors don't take home calls much anymore. This is an old story when they did. But the doctor came and examined him diagnosis pneumonia and he was such so worked up in a frenzy he gave him a sedative and he went to sleep finally and in his sleep he had a dream the dream was that he died he found himself in heaven and he asked the greeter there where is God I'd like to see God and then the greeter obliged ushered him into the throne room of God. And when he saw God, God was wringing his hands like this. And he turned to his guests, what's wrong with God? And he went on to say that Dick Jones has died and God does not know what he's going to do. (laughs) Look, God doesn't need you, nor does he need me. He pleases himself in using you and me. And thank you, Lord, for using us. But we need to have some rest beyond just getting in your car to listen to the radio or something. Here's another thing. Remember who you're serving ultimately. Who am I serving ultimately when I do good to another believer or even to non-believer? Who am I serving? The Bible says it is the Lord Christ I am serving. Do you begrudge serving Jesus If he were to materialize at any point in your proximity, would you just sort of be nonchalant and say, hey, Jesus, no, no. i got more important things to do. No. You would serve him with gladness, undoubtedly. A book I read years ago talked about a certain category of person in the church. And this writer... Describe that type of person as a VDP. The letters stand for very draining person. But you know what? If someone is a brother or sister in Christ, we need to draw boundaries if need be. But look, if Christ is in him or her, look beyond the difficulty of that person and minister. And then... Secondarily, but not altogether secondarily, find some VEPs, very encouraging people. David, the great king who had intimacy with God the Father, in Psalm 142, verse 4, I believe it is. I know it's in Psalm 142. says, No one cares for my soul. Whining David. Well, not necessarily so. He needed encouragement. Just like you and I do. I need encouragement. We're not to leech off of each other, but we're to help each other. And pray to God that you will do just that. Goodness, remember, a sister to kindness is something that exhibits itself in practical action. Practical, deliberate acts of service to other people, and goodness to other people. One of my favorite Bible characters is a woman named Tabitha. And Tabitha lived in Joppa. She was a widow, probably, not doesn't say, but she probably was. And she had a heart for other widows. She was a person of means, evidently. And she would gather widows who had no husband around her. They were widows who evidently were members of the church of Christ in Joppa, and she would make dresses for them. Is there anything, ladies, I'm not a lady, obviously, but is there anything that makes you feel better than getting a new dress that really is flattering to you? Hardly. And she died. We don't know what, I, but she died. And Peter was called He was living in Joppa. He was called to this place where her corpse was. And when he entered the room where her corpse was, the ladies were crying. They were weeping. No make-believe weeping. They were weeping because they had lost the one who had cared for them and shown the goodness of the Spirit of God, kindness to them. And then he raised her from the dead. That's exciting. But... Here's what we know. We can surmise this. What did it cost her? Well, it cost her time. It probably cost her money. She had to get the fabric. It cost her talent. And she may not have been by nature a natural seamstress, but she took what she had learned about making clothing and how to fit the clothing on the individual that she was used. This was a great woman of God. Go, look again at Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, that would be God's, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Lord created us for good works. When Jesus was approached about what a good work is, He says, It's one that is belief in God. It's something that's not about your doing. It's about that which comes out of your trusting in the Lord to be used to help others. And God prepared those good works beforehand. When did He prepare them? If we were to go to Psalm 139, we would see He prepared them before we were ever conceived. He knew the day This day, December the 3rd, 2023, you would be alive. And if you're a child of God, a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you would be a person who would be a person that God has designed to do some goodness today as you depend on the Holy Spirit and kindness and exhibit the other aspects of the work of the Spirit also Well, I'm going to talk quickly now about how we're to do it. I'm going to hit these quickly. We're to do it unconspicuously, not to be seen by man. Remember how Jesus got on the case of the hypocrites, the Pharisees? He said, don't be like them. Read about it in Matthew chapter 6 for more clarification. Urgently, Jesus says in John 9, 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Do you understand we're catapulting quickly, I believe, to the end? We don't know when the end of time is coming, but it's certainly picking up momentum, isn't it? And so let's not waste any opportunity to do good to others in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We're to do it humbly. By humbly, I mean we're serving the Lord. Remember that, and the word for serving means we are enslaved to do the work of the Lord. In Zechariah 4.10, the Bible asks this question, Who among you despises the day of small things? I know there are people here today who would turn their nose up against certain assignments. I don't have anyone in mind, but I'm sure in a crowd this large, I know because I've had the same thought process in my mind at times just sort of lift up their nose and say, "Mm, not me not that and we're to do whatever the Lord gives us to do there's nothing that's able to make you and me undignified if we are following our Lord and doing what He says we're to do whatever we do persistently well I want to give a quick illustration, William Wilberforce was a great figure in the late 18th and early 19th century in Great Britain. He led almost a one-man band beating the drum for the elimination of slave trade. He was a member of parliament. The first time he got a bill to the floor was in the year 1790. It was 17 more years and multiple attempts. He kept at it. He didn't give up. He kept it at it. And in 1807, the slave traffic on transatlantic sales of slaves was ended. And before he died, he was lived quite old age. In 1833, the entire British Empire, was rid of owning slaves. He stayed the course, and he did it because Christ gave him that assignment. Expectantly, what are we to expect if we are men and women who do what this text says in Galatians? Always be ready ready to do good. Here's what we can expect. We will expect when we stand before the throne of God in judgment the white throne, a great white throne, that he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Won't you be glad to be hearing that word from the Lord someday? Well done. And the word is really slave, not servant. Well, as we finish up, let me just read something I read or quote something I had. Everyone, sooner or later, will sit at a banquet of consequences. Our lives will be measured and the final judgment will be meted out in our lives. Please get right with Jesus. Give your heart to Him if you haven't yet. But in addition to that, if you know Him, make a habit of sowing seed not to the flesh but to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here with these brothers and sisters today. And I do pray that we would take these truths from your word and apply them regularly to our hearts. May we become a Spirit-led people and a people who are full of goodness because we are full of your Spirit.